I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, before I introduce my next guest, I just want to invite him and myself and you, if you're listening, to take three breaths together and just get present and be open to whatever it is we're about to say next, because this is the first time I have had a guest say, I don't need a brief, let's just riff. So let's be very present. We need our greatest intuition to hand here when going through whatever it is we're going to say next. So settle yourself in. If you're driving or walking or sitting, just notice where you are. And now take a big breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Two more like that. Last one. And now just be with us fully here if you can be, even if you are in the midst of a busy day driving down the road. Try to be as present as you can here while doing so safely, particularly if you're driving or taking care of small children. But um, I've just really come to an even deeper understanding lately of the value of presence and how our brains really can't multitask very well. So if you can just do one thing and listen to this and be with us for the next probably 45 minutes to an hour, um, that's going to be juicier for you. And hopefully you will get whatever it is you need to get out of this episode. So let me go ahead and introduce Paul Dunn. Paul is a four times TEDx speaker and was one of the first 10 people in Hewlett Packard in Australia. It's always interesting to set up a company somewhere. After starting one of Australia's first computer companies, he founded the Results Corporation, working within developing over 23,000, yep, 23,000 businesses. He's been honored as a social innovation fellow in his current home of Singapore, featured in Forbes magazine with Sir Richard Branson as a disruptor in business, and written several books. Those include a book called The Firm of the Future, which is widely regarded as one of the most important of its type ever written. His unique business development programs are now in use by an estimated 226,000 companies in the world. You heard that right, 226,000 companies. So this man is someone with reach, with influence, a multiplier. And I love to speak to multipliers because there's always something special about them. There's a special knowledge, wisdom, charisma, you name it, but it's their special sauce. It's their gift to this world, just being themselves and doing what they're meant to do. So Paul has chosen to spend his air quote retirement years enabling <laughs> other leaders, business owners. And enterprises define purpose. Paul, it sounds like you're not very good at retirement, but that's cool. We're glad. <laughs> We're glad you're still giving yourself to the world like this yeah. because it's all about helping businesses to have a positive impact while making profit because that's the system we're in and that's fine. Profit's okay. It's just about making sure that they have a positive impact as well. So Paul now serves as the chairman of the consultancy firm B1G1, enabling businesses to connect and give back in new ways and creating over 205 million giving impacts globally. We'll talk about that because it's a really interesting model. So we'll explore how they do that. So as I'm saying with all my guests in season three of The Discomfort Practice, we're going to talk about how change is often uncomfortable, 
but necessary, but also how it can be feel good and inspiring because the kind of work that Paul currently does is actually about being able to do good while also doing your job well, which is a pretty good model if you ask me. So we're going to talk about the role of leaders in doing that and how they can help facilitate transformational change, how employees can help to facilitate transformational change and better impact in the world and helping to put purpose at the heart of the companies that they lead and work for. So I'm looking forward to this chat. Welcome, Paul. Well, I'm looking forward to it immensely. And uh, and already I like the beginning. Thank, first of all, thank you very much for that lovely <laughs> introduction. And thank you, those of you who are joining us. And like me, you benefited enormously from the first time I've ever had that introduction on a podcast where, you know, we took three breaths and centered and all that kind of stuff. And so I deeply appreciate that. And I deeply appreciate being with you, Betsy, and the work that you do. Well, it's a joy and I'm sure it will continue to be. The The breathing has really... I've gotten a lot bolder about doing things like that in my mainstream and my corporate work because I was just reading some research yesterday, refreshing my memory on some research by a really interesting guy at MIT uh, who has studied how multitasking is a myth and how our brains actually work and how we really can only do one thing well at a time, which is a hard pill to swallow for leaders in particular who are going a million miles an hour and working a hundred hours a week and trying to do everything. But the reality is multitasking makes us dumber. Our IQ goes down. So if we can focus on just one thing, we will be better leaders and better at our lives. So I think I want to want to bring that to the world in whatever avenues I can right now. So hence the three breaths. So you talk about uh, with B1G1, you could be at your best when you're giving. We'll get into that in a minute because I first have to ask you mm. my standard first question, which is what is an uncomfortable moment? that has shaped who you are and what you do in the world? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting that you ask that question because someone once said to me that where we are now at in our lives and our businesses is a result of our reactions to all of those moments that have happened you know, in, in our life. And when I think back on that, and by the way, I hope this is one of those moments as well. <laughs> Good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I've been very lucky, really, to experience, you know, just just magical moments. I mean, you know, when you went through that introduction, I mean, how lucky is it that you you, you get to be one of the first 10 in HP in, in Australia? How lucky is it? By the way, I found out three weeks ago, I think since I last spoke with you, that I'm actually in the Australian Computer Museum. I'm not sure. <laughs> I love that there is I'm one. Sure <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good thing to say, but anyway, I am, right? So for, for, cool. for and uh, yeah, and, and, you know, when you start, uh, you know, one of Australia's first computer companies. But I think one of the most interesting moments, which in, which in a way was uncomfortable um, for me, was in 2006, late 2006, uh, well, actually, no, let me go back. No, in fact, just thinking about it, thank you for making me think about it. <laughs> it was in uh, December 1980, way before many of our listeners were, were born, I would imagine. But um, that was in the days when we did not really understand what the word seminar meant. But anyway, we thought it had something to do with monks and things. But, but no, it was, uh, you know, a gathering. And so I'm in this meeting with uh, 600 other uh, people in Brisbane, and I got dragged there. I literally got dragged there. And uh, and I had the privilege of listening to he's no longer with us, but James Roan, and and uh, Jim Roan or James Roan, whichever way you you like to think about it, um, 
it was fascinating for me because, um, you know, he said, you know, keep a journal. He said, you know, he mm-hmm. said all sorts of really interesting things that made me think, oh, my goodness, right? And that was when I saw myself. For me, it was like a time tunnel. I saw myself as being there and, and having something to share. So that, and so instantly, I, I the day, literally before I left the room, I called my my colleagues in the computer company and said, "I'm out of here." Oh wow! <laughs> and they said, "Could you, could you wait a few months?" And uh, so uh, so I did for uh, six months, and then on April the first, we. Funnily enough, 1981, we created that thing that you talked about called the Results Corporation. Mm. But what was really interesting, I think, and quite unquote uncomfortable at the time, was if people would have asked me, um, you know, so what's the secret of, of business, right? So in those days, I had just two. That is pre that moment in, in, in 2006. And so people say, so Paul, what's the secret of, you know, creating great businesses and so on? And I say, well, there were two. The first one is to add just enormous value to the people that you're privileged to serve. That's that's really, you know, the, the crucial one. And then the second one is to have fun doing that. Mm. And that was that was it. And then then I'm in this place in uh, uh, in, in uh, Bangladesh, actually, well, not in, not in, in Bangladesh, <laughs> Bangalore, I should say, not Bangladesh. Mm. And I had this moment where a friend of mine sitting next to me in one of these uh, events said, oh, Paul, there's someone I'd like you to meet. Would it be okay if we had dinner tonight? And he said, I said, sure it is. He said, we're going to the Taj. I'm thinking he's meaning a restaurant or a hotel, you know, that lovely six-star hotel called the Taj. No, he wasn't. He was meaning a downtown restaurant that was actually using his name in vain, I think. And it was it was not the world's best restaurant. And there, outside this restaurant, is this uh, guy dressed um, very, uh, just a black pants and, 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 and white shirt. And he's, I subsequently found out, 34 years old. And, and I met with him, and here's the first bit of uncomfortableness. I said, oh, hello, I'm Paul Dunn. And he said... Oh, uh, I'm Pastor Selva. And I, I can't believe I said this, but I actually did. Um, I said, always, oh, can you believe I said that? I mean, I said, is that Pastor as in PSTA? I see I was an Australian bloke at that time. Or is it Pastor as in PSTOR? I actually said that. <laughs> anyway, so he said, no, 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 it's OR. And I said, so, you know, tell me about you. And, um, and he said, well, it really goes back to uh, about four years ago when my church asked me if I would go to an island uh, off India and and create a community there or serve a community of 3,000 people. Wow. And I said, oh, that must have been interesting. He said, well, it was particularly 18 months ago. Now, remember where I'm saying this is happening and then sort of go back 18 months. It took me a while to figure this out. And he said, here we were in our... Uh, Sunday school, and we had 12 kids in the Sunday school, and all of a sudden, he said, I saw this, this, uh, we heard this amazing noise, a noise unlike any noise I've ever heard, and said, so we, the kids were kind of terrified, and I opened the door, and then I looked, and and, uh, about a kilometer away, I saw this massive wall of water uh, that was clearly going to engulf us. So he's talking about the 2004 tsunami. Yeah. Uh, it, took, it still took me a while to realize that. And so I said, 
you know, so, 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 you know, what happened then? And, and he said, well, we joined hands with the children and uh, we, we ran and we said, keep calm, but let's go to the high ground. Mm -hmm. And they made it to the high ground. And then he said, and so then we just stood there together and we watched as the church was crumbled and as their parents were washed away as well. Oh. And you know, I still remember that moment. It's like, oh, my God, am I, am I really? Wow, reality check, huh? Yeah, am I really? Wow. Oh, yeah. And, and then I said, I mean, I honestly can't remember what I said at that point, but it probably was something like, well, what, what happened then? And he said, well, we've spent 18 months. Uh, trying to find, uh, with these 12 kids, trying to find a, a, a place to be, a place to stay. Uh, we we obviously need to get the kids to school and we obviously uh, need, uh, you know, all sorts of things, clothing and stuff. And I said, oh, and how are you going on that? And he said, well, your friend, the friend who got me to this restaurant, a guy called Alex, he's been helping with that. And so I said, oh, okay, so have you, he said, we've got a place to stay. I said, that's great. And what about the other things that you mentioned, schooling and everything else? And he said, well, uh, yes, we have figured that out. He said, uh, and we figured out that it's going to be three and a half thousand US dollars to, uh, to, to fix that. And I said, oh, that's, that's, that's per child, right? And, and he said, no, oh, that, that's, that's for all of us. That's for everyone. Wow. And so um, it, I have to say it wasn't easy. You, you know, if you would have been sitting there, or you, those of you joining us now, if you would have been sitting there as I was, you would have said, well, let, let's fix it. You didn't know how, but you would have said that. Right? And so um, I fixed it, and, and it, it did take a little while. It's not easy in India. Mm -hmm. and, but not, not that long, maybe three weeks or so. And then four weeks later, I got, and this is the moment, I, I got a, email from him he'd gone down to an internet cafe and he borrowed a camera and he borrowed you know a, a laptop and he sends me this email and associated with the email are four jpegs four picture files and and he, he the first one is a long shot of this you know this place where they're, they're staying the second one is inside the one room that they're staying in. And here are the kids in a circle. Wow. And he says, see, they've got their books. And then the next shot is same kids, slightly differently arranged, but with food. And say, see, they've got their food it's working. And then the final shot is a close-up of the outside of the house. And it's well, house, this tiny place. And across the top, the kids have gotten a, a big paintbrush and they've written right across the top of the scene, Paul Dunn Home. Oh, wow. I go, oh. <laughs> and that's a moment unlike, you know, any I can, I can ever imagine. And, and that is when I realized that there is a third uh, category, if you will, or a third criteria uh, that is now probably the number one criteria for me. And that is to, to realize that, as uh, Paul Polman says, you know, we're the lucky 2%. We, we got born in the right place at the right time. Um, and that now to realize that all of us, every single one of us listening to this right now, we are all at our best when we're giving. Mm. 
Now that doesn't mean when we're giving money or when we give it just means when we are giving. Right? That's what it means. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just helping the the, the uh, you know the, the typical what do they say the little old lady you know across the road and 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 at the end of it you get a smile and you you're smiling too. Yeah. Right? It's that reaching out and I think. That's also a, a, a good description of, of leadership. I remember working with uh, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, who, who wrote a whole series of interesting books called Conversations with God, which were not uh, yeah. you know, religious books. You may, may remember that. Yep. And uh, I, I was working with him for a little while, and, and uh, he gave me a great definition of leadership. He said, uh, you, you do not measure your, your leadership by the number of followers you have. He said, you measure it by the number of leaders that you create. Mm. And that's uh, that's something that, you know, again, has sort of stayed with me. And I, I'm in this lucky place, right, again, really lucky, where just after that moment that I just described, right, the, 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 the one in Bangalore, Bangalore where it, all of a sudden, once you have moments like that, there's an area of the brain where you were talking about that earlier on, uh, which I think is called the the reticular activation system, mm-hmm. which which kind of means that when you go and pick up your new car or something like that, you know you're driving down the road and all of a sudden every other car driving towards you is the same car. You go, oh my god! <laughs> so you're noticing different things, right? And so all of a sudden after that moment, I, I started connecting with people who were, for want of a better term, in that space. Uh, of realizing that we were our best when we're giving, and that was when B1G uh, was created. And and uh, if I could just update one of those numbers, uh, right now we are at two hundred and eighty nine million uh, giving impacts. Oof! Wow. Um, and working with you know thirty four hundred or so uh, business leaders and their teams around the world, making that happen for them. So. Like I said, how lucky is all of that? <laughs> yeah, that was, wow. I, I got a moment of just like electric oof, when you were talking about the tsunami and I was like, oh my God, I know where this is going. Oh, yeah. Oof. But also it's, yeah, that shared discomfort of you realizing, yeah. wow, this thing that happened in another part of the world that now you're talking to a man who has 12 children to take care of and is asking for you, connecting with you. Because it sounds to me like, because... I think it would be so easy for people to criticize certain models as like, ah, you know, old fashioned philanthropy, but actually at the heart of what you're talking about is connection. And it's about that. It's okay to feel good about, about what you're giving and what you're doing. In fact, that's a motivator. That's what drives people to do it, but it's connection as well. It's realizing that you are part of that privileged 2% who can listen to a podcast. You don't have to worry about just how you're going to feed yourself today. Oh Yeah. I love, yeah, how would you define giving then? It's, it's, it's very interesting. It's very interesting, by the way, when you use that word because because when when you use the word connection, mm-hmm. we we tend to think of connection to other human beings, right? That that's yeah. how we think of that. Yeah. But if you if you think a little bit deeper of that about that, it's hard to connect with other human beings if you're not connected to yourself, right? So it's like this 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 inside connection, which then uh, you know, which, which which then gets you thinking in uh, in a different way, um, and you know, we've we've seen 
explosions of that, haven't we? I mean, mm. um, you know, there's never been a time when when so many entrepreneurs are being created or creating, if you will. Um, and I, I think, you know, a lot of people, I see a lot of this where uh, people are in companies and hopefully they're being very well paid and stuff. And then they get home and people tell me about this and they, they put their head on the pillow and they ask themselves, is that all there is? Right? Is that all there is? And I think one of our jobs as, as leaders is to make sure that people understand actually, no, it's not all there is, right? There's a, there's a deeper connection. Uh, there's a humanity uh, that is central to all of the things we're doing. It's so central to my work these days, and it is so exciting to see there be such an appetite for it because I think this this pandemic and the separation that a lot of us have encountered because we were isolated has really helped us to connect to how important connection is because we suddenly didn't have it passively. So, yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, well, exactly yeah. so. Exactly so. And I, I think in her first, uh, you mentioned you know, Ted uh, earlier on, and, and in, in her first uh, TED Talk, Brene Brown, I, there was a moment in that particular talk about six minutes in where she is really, she talks about vulnerability and she, she talks about some interesting stats about, you know, in particular in her case, young boys who are deciding to end it all. And, and she says, and she's very clear about it, she says, connection, I like this, she says, connection is why we're here. It's what gives meaning and purpose to our life. And so if you think about that another way, without meaning and purpose, there is no connection. And you can look at it the other way. With connection, there is meaning and purpose, right? And so that's, I think, one of the, one of the great sort of focal points that we we as leaders um, have to have to figure out and have to practice that it really is. Yes, 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 there's numbers and all that kind of stuff, of course. But as, as, as um, Simon Snake said the other day, he said, you know, uh, the numbers are really interesting and all of that kind of stuff. But really, when you think about it, everything is all about humanity. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. He's absolutely well, oh God, I love Simon Sinek. He always he always nails it. Oh, did I have I told you about have I told you about my my conversation with him after after he did start with why? Oh no, tell me. Yeah, because that's the thing that everybody knows him for. Oh well, I, I yeah, you know, like so many people, I, I watched that thing in two thousand nine, and I go, oh my God, how do you do that in eighteen minutes yeah. and two seconds? Yeah. And and how you do it. And so I, I got my, my first invitation, or my invitation to my first TED Talk uh, a little while after that. And, and so I had been talking with Simon, right? And, 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 uh, and we were, you know, we were having conversations and it was really great, awesome stuff. And um, anyway, so then I get this invitation. I think, oh my God, how am I going to do a great TED Talk? So I, I, I email Simon and I say, Simon, I've got this thing and, you know, maybe we could connect. So just name a time and I'll be there. And he said, how about midday next Friday or something? And I said, sure. Not realizing he's in New York, I'm in Singapore. So that means. Oh, no. <laughs> the time zone dance. I often get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. So Simon, if you ever, if you ever get to, you know, to, to know him, he's a really interesting guy. And, and, um, 
he he doesn't spend too much time in small talk. So you know, when you even though we 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 had some great times and still do. Um, and so I say, okay, Simon, as I said, uh, you know, I, I, I really am doing this, this TED Talk soon and I want to know how to do a great TED Talk. And he said, and literally he said this, he said, you already know. And I said, well, Simon, with great respect, if I already knew, <laughs> I would not be calling you <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning. Clues <laughs> in the question, Simon, read the room. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And he said, I was quite literal. This is actually, he said, um, okay, he said, um, do, you, do you have a, a pen, like a, uh, like, like, like a pen and a paper and pen? I said, well, I have, you know, an iPad and stuff. He said, fine. He said, just pick it up and get ready to write. So I pick it up and I get ready to write. He says, ask me the question again. Now, remember, I said he's really direct. Mm. So I said, okay, Simon, how do I do a great TED talk? And he says, be yourself. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like that. He's not messing around. <laughs> and by the way, he was right as well. So well, uh, Yeah, you're asked to do these things because you already know what you're talking about. Ted is pretty good at screening speakers, I would say. So. It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Ah, but I love what you're saying because you also say, I think it's on your website, that a leader needs a purpose higher than themselves if they are to thrive, which is a fantastic word, keep showing up and perform to the highest level. Because Literally, I work with leaders on resilience and well-being, and they burn out, they fall over, they get they get stress-related diseases, they suddenly freeze, you know. So in order to thrive, it's about a purpose higher than themselves, which also leads to that connection to themselves because you can't run yourself like a machine as a leader. And you've worked at such a high level for your career before I love your air quote retirement in which you are in no way retired as far as I can tell. <laughs> no way. I can't do that. No, no. but when you were in like those high profile, you know, leadership roles at HP and beyond, how did you connect to purpose and how did that keep, how did that help you to thrive? Well, it, 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 it really was, first off, it was about those two things that I, I mentioned earlier on. It was always thinking about the value that you're creating and all of that kind of stuff and having the fun. But then, in, as I said, 2006, that, that changed. And, it, and, and when, when that changes, you, you see the world, you, you just see it differently. I like uh, there's a, there's a, a, a brilliant uh, author who um, has a great story too. Her name is Tamsin Woolley Barker, and in two thousand and wait there five years ago, she she is she's uh, I mean you talk about you know you talk about discomfort. Well, she 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 had a couple of things happen in her life. She had been studying, uh, believe it or not, she'd been studying termites. She'd been studying ants. She'd been studying bees. As you do. Yeah, and, and she'd been studying apes, right? And, and, and she'd been writing all these wonderful papers about that. She had a husband who was doing great things with photography. And then husband leaves, and, and then, uh, sadly, uh, her son dies. And so... What does she do? Well, she writes a little blog, and the name of the blog is now the name of her book, which is called Teeming, T-E-E-T-E-E-M-I-N-G, -E -E mm -hmm. which is all about these extraordinary organizations. I mean, you know, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? How, how do termites who've been around way before we've been around, 
how do termites know how to build those structures? How do they know how to put the air conditioning in it? And, 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 and what's the structure, you know, that makes that work? And the same thing is true for bees and, you know, all those sorts of things. And fortunately for her, someone in Google uh, reads that piece and she is now uh, up there with, uh, you know, the, all of the change makers in, uh, in Silicon Valley and working with some interesting organizations. And what I love, um, uh, I mean, the, the book, by the way, is great if you want to find out about ants and termites and everything else. And there's <laughs> little, little things about, oh, you could apply that to your business. Yeah. Um, but in an interview, she said, she said this, and, and I think this is a really, really good thing. Uh, for us as leaders. She said this. She said, nature does not solve for problems. Nature always solves for potential. Mm. Now that, that might sound like, you know, oh, it's the same thing, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. And so if we can look through that lens of, of potential, I mean, think about it from, for example, uh, you know, a sales point of view, you know, lots of lots of lots of people will have things called discovery calls and discovery calls mm. basically go like this. OK, Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer, uh, potential customer. Uh, so what's the problem you have? Oh, well, my problem is this and this. Oh, we have a solution for that. And it costs this much. And blah, blah, blah. But it's a much deeper conversation and, and a, a much more purposeful and powerful and caring conversation if you just flip it to talk about the unlocked potential that is now there, right? It's just moving things to another level. And I think that's a very good description of, of what we need to do as leaders is just move things to that other level. So we're always looking beyond where we are right now. And what would you say to people who are listening and are thinking, well, I'm not a leader, meaning they're not in a leadership role. They're not in a position in which they have to lead people or an organization. Because my philosophy, and I think you probably will agree with me, is that everyone can and kind of needs to be a leader because it's about inspiring others and achieving something together. So how would you, how would you, you know, give that to somebody listening who's like, oh, I'm a middle manager, oh, I'm at the beginning of my career, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. How can they take that principle and apply it to themselves? Well, it, it's you know if you if you think about say for example you you look at um, you know some people okay let, let's look at for example James Clear you know the author of Atomic Habits right which is mm, a really yeah. really cool book and and he says this he says you know it's not setting a goal is or <laughs> achieving a goal doesn't come from you setting a goal it comes from you having systems and processes which get you there. And once you think about that that way, and once you think about the whole potential thing that uh, Tamsin is talking about, you you start to see things differently. You go, you know what? Mm. How I show up, how I show up, is is <laughs> am I, you know am I really caring enough about the people that I'm I'm with to show up? really understanding that whole thing about our potential as a group and the, and the, you know the thing that i own quote unquote that i'm responsible for and and how am i going to do that to you know to rock our world kind of thing so every i think you're right i mean everybody is that and and we as leaders need to encourage people to do that again go back to the you know, mm. go back to the Neil Donald Walsh quote, right? The, the, the way you measure leaders is not by the number of followers, but the number of leaders that we create. And so those of us who are 
fortunate enough to have that that title now, you know, leader of something, right? And all of a sudden we see that what that's about. It's not about managing the tasks and all of that kind of stuff. It's really about opening up the potential that those people uh, who are in your 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 entity, uh, the potential they have, so that they too mm. get a North Star, what Stephen Covey referred to once as a North Star, and so that we yeah. all have that, so that we're all uh at our at our operating at our very best we we have a deep responsibility to do that and 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 i think you're right too you mentioned covid before i mean mm. you know and i don't want to uh, in any way minimize you know all of the all the awful things that have happened as a result of that but there is one overriding thing that we 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 can no longer ignore and you mentioned it earlier on and it's this we are all connected. This thing you, you, can't, you, you can't get away from it anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. COVID really showed us that one. Yeah. Border schmorders. Yeah. And the moment you get that, right, the moment you get that, you get that it's not about me anymore. It's about we. Yeah. And then the moment yeah. you get that, it's not about self, but it's about something bigger than self. And when you do that, it really does change so many things for so many people. What a recalibration. And that's what I love about, well, it's why I'm obsessed with discomfort because yeah. from discomfort is learning from discomfort. I mean, you don't actually learn unless you're outside of your comfort zone. You don't actually connect with innovation unless you are facing something, a problem that needs fixing and that is uncomfortable. But yeah, just this collective discomfort we've gone through together has caused a grand recalibration which probably I would imagine has seen a real bump in interest in what you do with B1G1. So well, it has too. By the way, let me give you another another thought about that. Someone was the other day. Said You're full me, of good gold nuggets, Paul. This is awesome. Keep going. And it's it's an exaggeration, but you know, often in extremes there are great truths, right? And and he said, you got to understand, Paul, that all le all learning, all real learning, takes place at the edge of chaos. So I thought, oh wow, <laughs> that's, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Which, of course, is discomfort. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry yeah. you were asking something. <laughs> well, no, it's. I mean, we could riff on that one for ages, just riffing yeah, on the value of discomfort because it is, it is the, it's the magic the magic propellant of so many brilliant innovations and new ways of being and new ways of thinking because your comfort zone is your comfort zone. And, you know, you're just going to coast along with the status quo as long as it works for you. But when you're someone who is, you know, an outlier in your family or an outlier at work or somebody who just spots problems or is personally uncomfortable about something, that's when you create change. And that's oh, when you yeah. have the opportunity to, to to bring others with you. So yeah, I, I love riffing on discomfort. I rarely get to do it like this, very called out and specific. Usually we're kind of talking through it. But so I'm interested <laughs> in hearing what has what has the past two years done for interest in the type of well, first of all, actually, I want to ask about what is what is a giving impact? So people understand the type of work that you put into the world, the type of giving that you help okay. employees well, and companies to do. No, uh, many times, as as you um, uh, before we actually got together today, you mentioned that usually you know you'd be doing these things on Zoom, right? And today we are not doing these things on Zoom, which is kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but let's face it, we do spend a lot of time on Zoom, and so. 
I and lots of other people who are part of B1G1 do our very best to integrate giving at at every level of what we do. So, for example, uh, every time on, I'm on a Zoom call, uh, 11 kids get access to game-changing education. That, that happens every time I'm on a Zoom call. Um, and I, I don't even have to count the number of Zoom calls. That's <laughs> so... Mm. Uh, that's what uh, uh, that's what we and that would be like eleven impacts if that if that makes sense. So how was, how does that work? Because I'm curious about that. Because I remember yeah. we we had a discovery call if you want to call it that yeah, before yeah, yeah. We, we, did. we we did this, and then at the end of it, you told me how many how many positive impacts that it had. But mm. how does that work? How does that tell us about the integration of Zoom calls with giving impacts? Well, it's okay. So it starts by by um, by figuring out that or by knowing that there are some incredible projects uh, out there uh, in the world that are doing, you know, creating high impact stuff. So, for example, let's just, let's just take, um, let's just take uh, Kenya. Let's just take uh, uh, women in Kenya and let's just find out why women don't go to school in Kenya. Right? or as often as they should. There's a couple of reasons, but the one that we will talk about first is that most all of them uh, from you know age nine up, in fact, sometimes even less than that, what they do is they become the water carriers, which basically means they, they walk several kilometres um, and with an empty jug. You wouldn't want to put one of these things on your head. Seriously, you wouldn't. And I've done it. I've done it, but, but it's not very comfortable. And then they walk all the way back, and they do that twice a day. And, and, and so, guess what? They don't have any time to do the schooling and so on. So, so in B one G one, we look at that, and there's a there's you know someone has there's great people there that are building wells, right? So we look at the well, and we know exactly how much the well costs. We know exactly how much it costs to keep it going right, for, let's say, a period of 10 years. And then we know exactly how many people in that community are actually going to benefit from the, the water in the well. And then we just divide the numbers up, right, and then you get that, you know, that's giving water for one day in effect. So we build it back to that to one person, right? And if a whole lot of us can collectively come together in this movement called B1G1 and, and do that, and guess what? It uh, it it gets a lot of lot of young ladies to to school. Um, so yeah, it's 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 that. Uh, and by the way, that's that's why one of the uh, the uh, how should I say one of the someone someone said last week the genius of B, the geniuses of B one G one, but it is to be able to break everything down into those impacts because you know typically it's like. Oh, you, you know, you, you hear it. I'm sure you hear it. Oh, yeah, you know, this giving thing is really wonderful and I'm going to do it one day when I'm successful. <laughs> so, because we tend to think, oh, you've got to be, uh, you know, you've got to be um, Jeff Bezos' wife or you or your ex-wife. Or yeah, you've got to be, someday, someday, someday. Yeah, someday I'll, exactly. That's right. You and I can do that from just one cent. So there is... Uh, uh, you know, we can plant trees, and um, and but the interesting thing about trees, by the way, is you know when you think about climate, right? We people plant a lot of trees. Thank goodness. 
However, mm -hmm. trees take a little while to do their stuff, right? <laughs> <'Cause> they're... <laughs> yep, nature, not fast. Yeah. How can you turn that around? Well, here's a, here's a lady, her name is Consolata. She's in uh, Kenya. And she gets a phone call. Imagine getting this phone call, right? And the phone call is, Consolata, you've inherited 9,000 orphans. That's essentially the phone call. Now, they're not related Oof. to her, but there are 9,000 orphans that have been created by the AIDS crisis uh, that was there around Lake Victoria, and you're the person that's going to solve this problem. <laughs> Imagine getting that. So she realizes that orphanages are probably not the way to go. Um, and so yeah. she figures out that, you know, these these young kids have extended families. So how can we get the extended families involved? And how can we do it in such a way that the extended families uh, regard their uh, you know the the orphan, if you will, as as an asset as opposed to a liability. How do you do that? Well, the answer is very no, it's not very simple. But prefer <laughs> it was. What you do is you take a tree. It's called a mango tree, which takes eight years to grow. But what you do is you 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 uh, what's the word? You um, you blend it. That's not the word. But anyway, with graft it. Thank you. You graft it graft. with a very fast-growing Kenyan tree, and hey, presto, you get a mango tree that wow. that grows in two years. Not only does it grow in two years, it actually produces amazing fruit, and not only that, mm. volumes of it. And not only that, instead of the mangoes being up, you know, six feet high, and you've got to get on ladders, it produces them at this level, so the kids can actually harvest them as well oh, what an innovation oh i love that <laughs> yeah but then what you do then what you do is you say oh okay so what are we going to do well we're going to sell these things to the grandparents and we're going to charge them a dollar fifty for the sapling and we're going to make sure that they get 10 of them why would they want 10 turns out that when you have eight thousand mangoes at the, which you yeah. will in the first in, in the first thing in two years time you can obviously eat those, you can sell them at the market, you can do all sorts of things, but that actually gives you the funds to fund two or one year for two kids mm -hmm. of education. It just gives it. So it's a beautiful circular thing, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. That, you know, we, uh, we tend to spend a bit of time trying to find out. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So thank you for asking. Yeah, but I, well, I'm also interested in how does the Zoom call translate to funding for these projects? That's that's also I'm like, what, what? oh, well, it's just something that is is automatic. You know, we 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 have uh, in in B1G1, you set up what we call giving stories, and so a giving story would be, for example, when we have a great meeting, this is what happens. Mm. Uh, when we uh, someone visits the website, this is what happens. Ah. When you know, so you create these triggers. Uh, which in some cases you can automate, for example, mm -hmm. Zoom calls, um, and then link that directly to one of these wonderful projects yeah. and, uh, that do enormous things in our world. Oh, I love that. Okay, that's the magic because it's easy and it's built into existing habits and existing needs. I, I'm it. so glad I pressed on with that because it's so simple, but I get it. So you set up these ways in which a company can say, okay, we've spent this much time on Zoom, therefore we give this much money. And I love how also you you inspired me with how powerful those stories are when you link them to numbers. I used to run the Scottish Fair Trade Forum and we would, we would tell those stories about like when you pay a fair price for chocolate, not only are you not contributing to child labor, which you probably are if you're not buying fair trade chocolate, 
but this community is using this fair trade premium, you know, by a committee that has to be gender balanced and they decide how to reinvest in their communities. And the reality that people who worked in development or know much about places like Kenya understand if you educate women, you change communities. I mean, exactly. Women are, you know, it's a, yes, women play a huge, uh, yeah. huge part in, 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 in delivering um, impact and change in our world. By the way, it's interesting too. Let me just talk about this aspect of leadership as well, because you touched on it. It's this, this thing, um, you mentioned the word story. And um, uh, on the 6th of July last year, I, I had a uh, email from uh, a lady called, uh, called Bernadette Jiwa, who does a whole lot of work with Seth Godin and others. The subject line on the email is, the storyteller is the most powerful person in the world. Now, I, like a lot of other people, because she probably sent it to a lot of other people, but I opened that and I realized why I'd opened it. And that is because the word story, just think about this for a minute and then I'll complete the story. So so story is kind of etched into our DNA, right? You know, when our grandparents said once upon a time, you know, it's sort of there. So anyway, I read the rest of the email and, and at the, um, in the middle part of the email, she completed the quote and the quote goes like this. And a word of warning, if you're driving, this could give you goosebumps. Okay, so, <laughs> Brace yourselves. Okay. So, so, <laughs> so the story is this. So if you go for the first bit, the storyteller is the most powerful person in the world. Then it, then it goes, the storyteller sets the vision, the values, and the agenda for an entire generation yet to come. Let me say that again. The storyteller sets the vision, the values, and the agenda for an entire generation yet to come. Now, some of us may be asking ourselves, oh, I wonder who said that. Well, rather than you go look it up, let me tell you, he said it in 1994 when he was at Pixar, uh, having been, quote-unquote, fired from Apple, uh -huh. none other than Steve Jobs. Now, when you think about this, and I mentioned the word storyteller, people think, oh, my goodness, are we going to get a lecture, quote-unquote, from Paul on how to tell stories? No, that's not that's mm. not in the plan, okay? So, so, but I just want you to think about uh, about that quote and, 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 mm. and Jobs, just for a moment, right? Because when you think about it, Jobs was an incredible yeah. storyteller incredible storyteller but what he actually was was a great story creator and he gave us tools which help us as we you know you create better stories so a way i think of thinking about leadership now with all those things that we've talked about about connectivity about humanity and everything else is to see it in that 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 role of creating new stories for the people mm. that we're privileged to serve, helping them create new stories. And then, of course, when you when you think about it that way, you start to see the ripple effect because then they do the same thing, if that if that makes sense, right? So, uh, so you you see it kind of this sort of full uh, sort of unfolding. Someone described it to me as the other day, but you know, it's like vroom, it just opens up, yeah, a whole lot of.
Oh, I love I love the term unfolding. And in fact, I have a painting in my living room titled Unfolding because it's right? just this beautiful. Yeah, it was painted oh, really? by a friend, Catherine Garner. She's a brilliant artist, but it's this big square in my lounge. And it just it's this sliver of red with dark around it. And you just feel like you're walking out of a cave into something major. But the power of storytelling, really, I mean, what you're saying without saying it yet is it, it taps into our emotions and our humanity and it connects us. Yeah, I mean, I work with Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership, Sustainable Leadership, Sustainability. I always get that wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm the head tutor for a course on communicating for influence and impact. And one of the favorite modules each time that these professionals who are our students look forward to and get a lot out of is storytelling. Everybody wants to be a masterful storyteller. And a lot of them already are because they're quite senior. Yeah. They're very effective in their communications, but they know that's where the power lies. So I think it's kind of it's it's in us. We understand this from a really primal place because it comes from emotions which aren't conscious. You know, we just have this sort of animal brain reaction that's like, ooh, I'm inspired. Ooh, I get goosebumps. So yeah, storytelling is such a key term. That's right. And, and in so doing that, yeah. And in so doing that, if you if, again if you think it through, that's why I think the quote is so wonderful. That it, it's it, 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 yes, we're telling stories, but when we tell those stories we're actually helping other people create even yeah. better stories for themselves if that if that makes sense i mean i love that kind of ripple yeah, effect too. well the multiplier effect is obviously something you're keenly interested in as a leader and you get that about your your special <laughs> sauce in this earth paul there you go. thank you so then let's talk about like what are some of the inspiring things going on with these these giving impacts you know who's involved drop feel free to name drop and also, you know, what's the impact that it's having? Oh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> it would be a lot to name drop on, you know, 3,400 uh, or so business owners. Oh, yeah. uh, around Go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but, it, but it's, it, it, it's really interesting because, you, you, you know, you, there's everybody in there from like dentists and lawyers to um, – to accountants, to um, even, um, you know, packaging companies who are doing incredible things uh, with, uh, you know, really innovative packaging. and mm -hmm. Or indeed it's like printers. In fact, let me just link those two things. So recently we had a call from a company, if you want me to name drop, the company is called Allpack, A-L-L-P-A-Q. And uh, they happen to be very innovative in the way in which they do uh, sort of bulk packaging um, uh, uh, for actually for the uh, for the vaccine uh, mm. industry, if you will. And so I get this call from a lady. Her name is Kirsten, and uh, I figured I've known the call is coming because it's like a discovery call. So I've known the call is coming. <laughs> So I looked up what Allpack does, and I go, oh, my goodness. I wonder how they got to hear about B1G1. So mm -hmm. she said, well, it's a very interesting story. She said, so I asked the question, and she said, well, what happened was we obviously use lots of labels, and we have lots of printers, as in professional printers who print these labels. And she said, one day what happened was the, the printer, who unbeknownst to us at the time is a B1G1 member, she said, um, we paid his bill. And so the printer sends back what we call a B1G1 gratitude certificate, which basically says to the accounts person, 
Thank you so much for paying that bill. As a result of you doing that and doing it on time, mm. this is what's happened. You know, so many trees have been planted, so many days of water, you know, education, whatever, right? And the accounts person gets this gratitude certificate and goes, oh, my God. And she, Kirsten, the, the CEO, <laughs> says, so the accounts person comes rushing into my office, you know, and, and says, Kirsten, look at this. And so Kirsten wow. looks at this gratitude certificate and says, and, and she told me this. She said, oh, my God. She said, I, I said, oh, my God, I've been wanting to do this all my life. Oh. And, and isn't that cool? And, yeah. I, and I think that that taps right into what we were saying that early on, that all of us are at our very best when we're giving. The problem is sometimes the how of that is challenging, right? Mm. So what? what you one does is, is kind of make the how really really easy and at the same time gives you this uh, this massive choice of you know of, of what about 500 or so um, really um, high impact projects that are doing great things in our world yeah mm. you make it easy but also what you do is you connect people to their impact and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about how connecting people to themselves you've you've just helped someone who pays accounts and probably thinks i don't really do much in the world i just do my job and then i have my personal life and you've helped them to see that they can have impact by being an accounts person you know at, there you go that's i think a really valuable message to anybody listening it doesn't matter what you do or what your job title is you can have impact it's possible well, it goes back, of course, to what you were saying before about how do you, you know, how do you create leaders? I mean, consider, consider, for example, uh, in larger companies, the way that, and like you, I, I, I'm not a particular fan of uh, labels like CSR and all of those sorts of things, or even ESG. Actually, you know, I think there's very different ways of thinking about that. But anyway, um, so what typically happens is, you know, the HR director or whoever says, oh. I think we'll support you know, XYZ charity, right? Or whatever it is. And I'm, by the way, I'm not knocking that. Don't think for one minute I'm <laughs> knocking that. I mean, there's, there's value in that. But, but consider how you could democratize that. Mm. So you could say to everybody on your team, um, no matter how large that, that team is, and you could link it all to the SDGs, the global goals, the sustainable development goals. And you say, by the way, this is what we do. You know, we, we, we for example, like, let's say, the no poverty goal, or, or we like, the, you know, the life above, uh, below water goal, whatever mm -hmm. of the 17 you like. That's what we like. And that's what we're going to do as a company. But, or not but, and, Within that, since we know that all the goals are interrelated anyway, you can do your thing. You, you can do your thing because you're part of what we do. And so someone described that recently as democratizing the whole giving process. And, of course, the moment you do that with, with people on the team, guess what? They feel more engaged. They're automatically getting more meaning out of out of their day because it's not oh look at how much money we made today. It's look at how many impacts we created today, mm. and that's a hell of a lot more rewarding for most people than oh look at what happened to the revenue today. 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Our shareholders are happy. Woohoo. I, I can sleep at night. Unless you're the yeah. top leader. Most people are like, meh, I don't really care. Well, because a lot of the work I do is on helping people in organizations find their purpose and helping organizations to find their purpose. And one of the selling points for that type of work is retention, morale. People do a better exactly. job when they feel part of a purpose, when they understand why they're doing what they do. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I have to ask because somebody listening to this is going to be wondering the same thing. How do you filter those who you might not work with? Because on one hand, they might want to have some great giving impacts. And on the other hand, maybe they're doing some real damage to society and the planet. So do you work with companies who are doing some potentially yeah. harmful things? Like how, how do you filter this? Because it's great that you're allowing people to have great giving impact, but how do you navigate the risk? Well, the filter, yeah, the filter occurs, yeah, the filter occurs on several levels. Um, the first level is with the projects that we select, right? So mm. uh, that's a fairly complex process because if I'm saying to you, by the way, just because you did this, you know, 11 kids got access to game-changing education, you need to know that that actually happened, right? You need to know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the first part of the of, of the process, right? Uh, and that's not an easy process. And obviously, it needs to be monitored on an ongoing basis, and so yeah. on and so forth. Right? So that's that's the and that's why one of the you know it's very challenging for projects to be be one dream on projects. Um, so that's the first part. The second part is that you. I mean, <laughs> there's so many dimensions to this. But, you know, what, what we, we see with great respect to uh, leaders around the world, sometimes what happens is it, it gets out of kilter, you know. And so what happens is, you know, we understand, and you, I'm sure you've had this question, you know, oh, what's the difference between the mission and the vision? But, yeah, all of those sort of things go on. And then, and then. <laughs> oh, that old chestnut, yeah. Yeah, that one. And then, you know, we get together, we have, uh, you know, retreats. I wish we would call them forwards, but most people call them retreats. And, and you know, so we then get together and we have this committee thing that goes and we build these wonderful statements. And, and we hope that people can understand that we stick it up, you know, in various places so that it's, you know, top of mind. But, of course, it very rarely is. Um, and and the, the problem there is that that the words... I really, I, you know, they, it's really easy to to write the words. Yeah. But it's not so weird. And, and by the way, the other interesting thing about that is you can't measure the words. You you can't measure the words. The only thing you can measure, so you, in other words, put it another way, you can't measure purpose. It's really difficult, actually, to measure purpose. But what you can, <laughs> yes, it is. What you can measure is impact. So it's this lovely move from being purpose-driven to being impact-driven. And then you can measure it, and then you can see exactly, you know, what's going on in terms of where the company is, and you can monitor that and so on and so forth. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it, it's uh, um, how should I say, it, it's um, a nice thing to be a part of, uh, even though it's very challenging to do. And, by the way, yeah. um, as, as you know, we measure everything. You know, it used to be that, you know the the CEO of CEOs of companies would you know have those great big checks and say look at that we just gave ten thousand mm. dollars to whoever it was. Um, that doesn't happen in B one G one because 
uh, it's it's only ever about the impacts that you are creating. So so everything is is kind of flipped on on its head that way. Yeah. So it's very cool. Mm. But that's also inspiring because people are they see that they have genuine impact. But is there ever any company you've said no to because you're like, all right, this would just be straight up purpose wash, green wash. Yeah, that's also an interesting thing to know that you you are a guardian of that as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very much so. I know, very much so. I mean, some some people say things like, uh, and you can smell it. You can really smell it. Uh, some people say things like, uh, and you 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 smell it from intent. You know, so people say, oh, this would be great for our marketing. <laughs> That's not where we're yep. going to go with you, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. and but it's an ongoing, an ongoing, uh, and interesting, uh, interesting uh, challenge, if you will. And so we have various markers that that allow people to, um, you know, to graduate, you might say, um, into what we call a a B one G one business for good, and and that's. Okay. Not an easy thing to get either. So, yeah. That's good to know. I, mean, I always have to do my due diligence here, having written a book on greenwash and purpose wash. So, yeah. yeah, it's 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 also good to hear because, you know, people are not dumb. There are a lot of very smart and talented and well-funded activist organizations who will be looking out for that. And also people know, people can feel when something is disingenuous. So that's good to know because it is quite risky, isn't it, to be involved in? It is. By the way, I heard a new a new way yeah. of describing activists the other day, which I thought was very cool because you know sometimes activists are mm, sort of in their face, you know, in your face, and and sometimes you you sort of you know when someone is sort of pushing you, you, you tend to push back. But someone described themselves, following off their their B one G one member, which may not be surprising, and they described themselves as an actionist, and I thought, oh, oh that's such a lovely a lovely title. I'm an actionist. That is good. Because some people love the term. I was giving a lecture last week at Holt Business School in London, and yeah. it was about activism. And I, I titled it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to give you theory on activism. I'm going to title this presentation, Meet an Activist in a Suit. And because people get a bit twitchy about the word <laughs> activist. And so I asked them, what is an activist to you? And we created this word cloud so we yeah. could do this virtually and see and actually, the words that they they came up with, none of them were nouns. They were all purpose driven, exactly. um, dissatisfied with the status quo. It was all adjectives. It was all describing yeah, yeah, the yeah. type of person and their motives. And I was like, this is impressive. These people who are, you know, they're all twenty years old have yeah. this interesting understanding of activists, and they didn't react to it the way I thought they might and reject it because you know, sort of perhaps those in other contexts or people who are a little bit older maybe don't like that term. So I might steal that term actionist. I'll do that. Well, it's actually, it's funny how labels define, you know, the, the accounting profession in Canada, for example, uh, decided that, you know, accountants really can make a major difference in our world. If only they themselves get on oh, purpose yeah. and then if they share that. Yeah. So someone in the, uh, in, in the Canadian Institute decided that there was a great term, <laughs> and they said, "What we need to become is warrior accountants." So I mean, you know instantly, 
instantly that's going to you know be like a lead balloon uh, on the people. So uh, not surprising that, that one actually got off the ground, but it didn't last very long, right? But so we but we understand. God bless them. We understand that the meaning you know meaning was great, but uh, so often uh, you know it gets gets messed up you know with the with the labeling. Yeah, we give it as well. Oh, to, to any accountants listening, I, I I would love to know if there are accountants listening. But yeah, try on warrior accountants, and I, I think you can probably have a good laugh at that. <laughs> but it's interesting what you say about, I mean, I think because I've worked in all the sectors by now, procurement people are my favorite yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah, they exactly. have such power. Okay. So I, I had a guest, I think it was season one, an ex-colleague from Nestle who is their head of sustainable sourcing. Hmm. And people who are in charge of buying things have such immense power Ooh. because they can decide to define value as okay. cheapest yep. or as has the most positive impact. And therefore they make that decision for the company and they're procuring, you know, potentially billions of pounds worth of stuff every year. And okay. that is linked to the impact on the ground in a place like, you know, Ghana, where Nestle buys most of its cocoa and things yep. like that. I love that. I've become, oh my gosh, I'm such an activist and that, that is why Nestle hired me. <laughs> I like what, uh, I like what, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I like what Paul Pullman, uh, uh, when he was the CEO of Unilever, as you know, he now runs Imagine.io. And by the way, he's um, he's a, a senior advisor to us in, in B1G1. So we like Paul mm. a lot. And we love Paul Pullman. Yeah. yeah. I actually interviewed Kim Pullman last week. So she will be a guest on this podcast very soon. Oh, Kim's great, right? Because, uh, and by the way, yeah. their, their project, as you probably know, uh, they work with 25,000. Uh, the correct term, the, uh, the correct term is visually impaired people, but you and I can say blind. So 25,000 blind people in Kenya. That's what actually drives Paul and, and Kim. You know, they yeah. do that. And it took them three years, but that their project is now a B1G1 project. So we're happy about that. Hey, uh, it's a small world. <laughs> yeah. So when, when Paul first, uh, quote unquote, discovered uh, B1G1, he, um, he did a little video. I remember it was in Berlin and it was right off the, right off the bat. And, and it was pretty damn significant. Be, just to pick up on what you were saying about the the value chain, and he, he he made the point. He said, you know, here in here in Unilever back then, he said uh, our challenge is, is not just to work with the consumer and all of those sorts of things, and to do you know the Unilever living thing that they did. But he mm -hmm. said we we have eighty thousand businesses in our value chain, eighty thousand yep. of them, right? Yeah. And so the challenge that we have is to actually work. You know, imagine you're a procurement officer and you say, oh, my challenge is actually to, to, to work with them to get the sustainability thing going and all the other things going. You know, and that's, mm -hmm. and I, you know, we are seeing, we are seeing that uh, increasingly. So, but, you know, we, we, we never see enough of it, as you know, and, and, uh, yeah. and we, we need to accelerate all of those things pretty quickly. We need more people and more roles involved in that. Well, I one of my proudest impacts is that when I ran the Scottish Fair Trade Forum, my first meeting in the job, this is with me as like a 27-year-old director of an NGO, you know, had all the confidence in the world. 
And my first meeting was with the procurement officials at the Scottish government because Scotland was working to become a fair trade nation. And I worked on them for a good year and a half to convince them that actually it was legal and there was precedent to define EU procurement regulation as you can specify fairly traded products. It's not a brand. It is a guideline. And they were like, Betsy, our job is to keep the minister from doing anything stupid and illegal for a year and a half. And then one day they thought of it themselves, seemingly. (laughs) As they do. And yeah. And since then, for the past, oh, wow, 14 years, the Scottish government, the Scottish parliament, all public buildings that the Scottish government procures stuff for, when possible to procure a fairly traded product, that's what they buy. That's great. So it has had Millions. What is the? Yeah, millions of pounds worth of impact. Her name is on the tip of my tongue. The the first minister in Scotland. What, first what? minister Nicola Sturgeon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I knew there was a Sturgeon in there, but yeah, Nicola. Yeah. And uh, she is. Um, you, you know, I, I remember she she talked recently. By the way, she did a TED talk recently, which is really powerful. Mm. She's a great speaker. If anybody doesn't know her. Powerful female leader. Oh, she's yeah. great. And at the beginning of it, she said, um, you know, she, she did the, um, uh, she mentioned, you know, female leaders. And, and she said, by the way, she, it was at the start of COVID, right? And she said, by the way, isn't it interesting how Iceland and New Zealand and Scotland are doing the best in the moment? In, in, <laughs> and they in, all have female leaders. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Exactly right. Exactly. Well, she did a nightly briefing, a nightly briefing on TV um, during sort of the worst of the pandemic to give updates and yeah. be with the people in Scotland because it was pretty hard in Scotland. The, the lockdowns were really very, very intense. But yeah, I mean, like her or hate her, she's a really interesting model of of empathetic feminine leadership to me. And actually, yeah, I look at sort of Jacinta Hearn and New Zealand and her as quite interesting leaders to study and, and teach because I teach leadership. It's an interesting one. It is, mm. it is, it is. And, and by the way, by the way, just so that just to sort of go um, sort of complete a loop here, you may remember I talked about Tamsin, remember Tamsin Woolly Barker? Mm. And you may remember I said she studied termites and bees and things and ants. And she said, by the way, there is a reason that ant colonies have queen bees as opposed to king bees. <laughs> so, mm. so there you go. <laughs> Even nature reflects it. There you go, you see. But yeah, it is interesting. We're seeing such a shift, aren't we? Such a shift to sort of away from the John Wayne hero leader to a more holistic, integrated style of leadership that's about actually being maybe less hierarchical, maybe not, but more empathetic and yeah. more intuitive and more creative. And it's less about command and control because that's what people want and need. And and that's how you get the best out of people to create collective innovation and solutions and impact, yeah. even if it's just about running your company well. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm encouraged by the leadership style shift that I'm seeing slowly, but you know, it helps. Well, you know, I look at I look at B1G1 and I, I go, oh my goodness, there's, there's two guys here. Wow. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's it's kind of interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, so many leadership experts I'm seeing are are yeah. There's becoming a greater gender balance, greater diversity in all ways, and it's something I'm fully on board with. And well, I'm sure will, you are. And, will uh, push and pull as much as I can. 
And uh, yeah, and I'm sure you are on board with you know doing some great things. I mean, leading leaders is kind of interesting, right? And that's uh, that's what that's what yeah. you do, and you do it very well. And and um, you know that's why it's uh, so nice, um, like uh, hanging out with you on on this podcast. It's really been great to share some ideas. Mm. Oh, same. I have two final questions, but before I get to that, I'm just yeah. going to put this out there because. I was born and raised in Wyoming, which is a phenomenal place, a very wild place in the U.S., and and it still is very wilderness. And so I am on a track to create and, and start delivering leadership retreats there from next summer, which is partly about rewilding yourself, reconnecting with your place in nature, which is going to start with a little backcountry trek. And when I say backcountry, it's like there's no cell phone coverage and we will carry bear spray. So if anybody's interested in learning about more about that, it will be very small groups or one-on-one. -on -one. But there's nothing quite like realizing you're on a glacier and there is no one within a two-day hike and, and there are bears out there to show you your place in nature again. You know, it doesn't care what your job title is. It doesn't care if you've answered all your emails. <laughs> it's You belong to this mighty mighty thing that is bigger than you and it can do whatever it wants with you and that's just how i grew up but i i see the value in that yeah. in helping people who could it's so easy to get whirled about in the sort of whirlpool of what it means to be in a leadership role these days it's so busy it's intense it's stressed and you can just get so narrowly focused on this one thing you're supposed to do to deliver to your board or your shareholders or your employees or whatever, but to just give people the gift of focus and taking them out of that for a week and, you know, doing somatic stuff and art therapy and, you know, we'll go back to a beautiful mountain lodge and, and rest and relax because they also need to recharge and reset their nervous systems. But I am so excited about this. This has just sort of plopped in my lap. Well, you deserve to be excited. That's uh, so cool. And of course, Tim Collins, who we who we both know, yeah. Uh, yeah. is doing some interesting thing around forests and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah. yeah, it's very yeah. cool. Very cool. There's a growing trend of reconnection with nature as part of a a really essential part of rejuvenating leaders, making resilient leaders. So I'm excited to be involved in that. But well, when you're out there, think of uh, think you might want to think of Tamsin and her. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, nature doesn't solve for problems; it solves for potential. Right? So, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm definitely going to connect with her. I think she might need to be on this podcast. I think she might. So, you know, might ask, might ask for some connections. No, you, I'm happy call. to give it to you. Yeah, <laughs> but I've got two final questions for you because right. you have been so generous with your time. Thank you. What excites you about the future? Oh. Well, it's 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 associated with this, you know, challenge of retiring, uh, which I haven't done and I don't intend to do. The thing that drives me in relation to all of that is there are two things, and, I'll, and maybe I have a chance to talk about the second thing, depending on your last question. Uh, but which I don't know, by the way, as you know, I didn't want to see the questions. Before. <laughs> so, so it's an open question. Don't sweat yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I I think. For me, what uh, excites me is is this inherent sense of curiosity, you know, just curiosity as mm -hmm. to not just how does that work, but how can you do that in, in a slightly different way that, you know, connects more people. And I think that for me, the moment that I, you're quite going to lose that, it, you know, when I sort of sit in the lecture and, you know, watch the world go by, 
Um, <laughs> I, Retiring I think, quote. Yeah, I think I'll uh, I'll lose a lot. And you know, the the the, the other day I was I was uh, uh, working with a company in uh, in the Gold Coast in Australia, and I this guy I met in 2013. His first name is Nick. And Nick at the time was an accountant with uh, three people on his team. As we speak today, his revenue is $115 million. Um, wow. that, yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty rapid growth. And what was so interesting is we were doing this session, you know, on, on purpose and everything else. But, but what was so interesting is that you, you saw the, the way he'd, he'd done that and, and that for me, it was being able to speak at a at a level that you frequently are not able to. If that if if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so I really started to see um, the well, yeah, the importance of leadership yet again in in you know raising it up uh, to an incredible uh, point, and then to be able to say, well, how do we go, how do we go further, you know, right, as opposed to, oh, isn't it great, you know, we've, <laughs> we've had this exponential growth, well done. <laughs> so, yeah, curiosity for me is the, is, uh, is the, the crucial piece of all of it. And hopefully that's one that a lot of people can relate to, yeah. like, stay curious is a great, oh, yeah. I think that Jonathan Van Ness says that on his TV show on Netflix, if everybody else loves Jonathan Van Ness as much as I do, of Queer Eye, he's awesome. Okay. I think this final question gives you a lot of room to navigate. Okay. What's one final thought you'd like to leave people with? Hmm. Well, um, f- first of all, um, <laughs> well, the, the, the overriding thought that I have right now is one of gratitude and, and that of, uh, you know, being able to, you know, unscriptedly, uh, you know, share some time with you. And, and, that, and when I say you, I don't mean you, Betsy. I mean, well, I do mean you. Of course I do. But I also mean <laughs> the, 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 the people who've you know been listening for all of this time. And thank you for doing that, even at double speed, mm. whatever it is you're doing it. Um, mm. so, so thank you for that. So here's the, here's the final thought, um, uh, which, funnily enough, is, is, it goes back to the conference that I was just, uh, or the session I was just talking with you about, because I wanted to find a way of saying it. And um, we talked earlier about, you know, vision and mission and those sorts of things. So here's the final thought, uh, which is just a sentence with a comma in the middle. And, And what it says is this. When your vision becomes more powerful than your memory, your future becomes more powerful than your past. Oh, read that again. When your future becomes... So, so when your vision becomes more powerful than your memory, your future becomes more powerful than your past. I can't add to that. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for that quote. Thank you so much for the last hour, 15 minutes of wow, your time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we, we riffed. We did it well, Paul. We thought we go. would and we did. Well, thank you. But thank you for the the artful dance, the interesting conversation, the wisdom, the good quotes. But thank you for sharing your acquired wisdom, your Paul Dunn special sauce and your inspiration and and work with us. Keep keep being the most awesome retired person I've ever <laughs> I promise you that I will. Thank you for having me and for inviting me and for sharing all of it. Thank you so much, Paul.
Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five-star and written review, and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable. <laughs>